What is up, ambitious listeners? My guest this week is my co-host on the Fireside Football Podcast presented by Empire Sports Media, and he is Brendan Carpenter, a very cool guy, uh, excited to see what he does in his future, and hope you guys tune into Fireside Football. It's really fun and engaging, and we talk about it a lot. So that interview is coming after a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Anchor. What is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is my partner in crime on Fireside Football, presented by Empire Sports Media. He also covers the New York Jets for Empire Sports Media and attends University of Connecticut, or better known as UConn, because I don't know if I got that entirely right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Brendan Carpenter. Brendan, how's it going? Doing good, Dylan. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming on. So starting right at empire sports media that's how we got connected that's how we started doing fireside football how did you end up at empire sports media it's actually uh kind of funny being uh you know i go to uconn for journalism and i wanted to start getting into the sports writing aspect of um the sports world and i was just going through instagram and uh, one of the pages i follow actually had a shout out for empire sports media saying that they were looking for Contacted Empire Sports Media, had my sample article, which was actually about, you know, they give you a sample article to write about, and I had to write about uh, why the Jets were going to have a bounce-back season offensively um, this upcoming season, and, you know, since then, I've been loving it, man, doing the podcast with you, obviously, and writing, and Empire Sports Media is great, so I think everyone should check it out. It's It ended up with me, as I've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but not a lot, ended up giving me an opportunity originally to cover the Yankees, now the Jets, and now doing the Jets, NASCAR, and doing Fireside with you. So they do very great if you want an opportunity to get sports journalism experience, get experience, even if you don't know if you want to do that as a career, but get to experience doing that professionally, working with people, and also getting to write about sports that you watch and you love. So check them out. And even if you don't want to write, check them out. Their articles, check out Brendan's pieces, check out mine, check out some of the other writers on the team as well. So great job working here and it's fun. So when did you realize that this is what you wanted to do with your life? Well, I always knew that I wanted to do something in sports. I originally applied and was hoping to go to Syracuse um, for sports journalism, but the path led me to UConn, and I went in undecided. You know, I was thinking about uh, sport management, maybe, because I got a job working for the football team in recruiting, and, you know, I was thinking maybe I wanted to go to that side of it, but writing has always been my passion, and alongside of sports, I thought that sports writing would actually be perfect for me and you know it's cool with UConn in close range to the ESPN headquarters in Bristol Connecticut and some of the professors who actually work at ESPN um I think it was just a perfect blend of my passions and I'm excited to see where it takes me so if you had to kind of set a 10-year goal we did this a little bit talking with um some of the other um analysts and stuff that came on but if you had to kind of set a 10 year goal for yourself in terms of what you want to accomplish, what would be just one or two or even a few things that you'd like to have done or be at a stage in your life in terms of career in the next 10 years? That's a good question. Uh, Well, my ultimate goal is to work for ESPN. 
that's my ultimate career goal. I think that ESPN is the top of the mountain. It's the peak when you think about sports journalism and news. So I think working for ESPN is definitely what I'm striving for. That's that's tough to get to, though, in 10 years. So if I don't manage getting into ESPN and writing for them, I think that, you know, even in 10 years, if I'm working for a smaller level um, but circulated news organization, like maybe a CBS Sports or something like that, just so that I can get my portfolio up and running even more than it is now, I think that would be really ideal for me in 10 years. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question because you can, I can go so many different places with sports journalism, mm -hmm. even with journalism in general. I know a lot of people um, in the sports industry now, they didn't necessarily start with sports journalism. Like Stephen A. Smith actually spoke to students at UConn a couple of years ago when I went and saw him and he was saying, you know, he started off doing regular news broadcasting um, for a local news station where he was, and that led him to sports is where he wanted to go. So I think away from sports, I think me being able to work on a daily basis and get my name out there for journalism and news reporting of any kind within the next couple of years, being that I'm graduating um, in the spring of next year. I think that's where I want to go. I think I wouldn't, I'd be okay with starting in regular news, but ultimately 10 years, I'm going to go with ESPN. Let's, <laughs> let's say ESPN in 10 years. That's my goal. That's pretty crazy. I never knew that about Stephen A. Smith. And it's kind of hard to picture him doing like the weather or doing, you know, having to break news about a tornado or a natural disaster or something. Yeah. When he first said that, I was like, no way. No yeah. Way. He's the first take guy. He's the crazy bold prediction debates and all that guy. And I couldn't see him doing the on tonight's nightline news, so-and-so. And I just couldn't see that, but that's crazy. That's a journey. Take you different directions. I'm starting to learn that more and more as I've gotten to interview different people doing this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now you say ESPN, is it going to be, what do you, would you want to do journalism, like in terms of writing, blogging, you know, posts in that sense? Would you want to do, you know, the media and doing more of like the podcasting like we do? Or would you like to do like on air stuff? What's the kind of dream scenario at ESPN? I like the podcasting that we do, but my true passion started off with writing. So I think that being a writer for ESPN's website, um, would be great. I mean, that's what I really want to do. Hopefully for the NFL or the MLB, those are really my two main, uh, my two main areas of knowledge in sports. So obviously I'd love to be on air. One of those people. I mean, that's just, that's the absolute peak when you think ESPN, like seeing people on TV, like L Duncan or, you know, Adam Schefter, even during the NFL season. I mean, that's, that's great. So you know, either way, I think that, I mean, you see writers sometimes go on the ESPN shows for a quick second to talk about different breaking news. So one could lead to the other, um, possibly. But yeah, I'd really, really like to be a writer for the ESPN website. That's pretty cool. And it's definitely, you know, I feel like, especially talking, you know, somebody immediately think of is uh, Andrew Siciliano who came on around draft time. And he had said, you know, the broadcasting was originally his goal, which is kind of cool because it's 
different perspectives. I never, I, my mind is always, my personally has always gone to, you know, being, doing the broadcasting, being the, you know, anchor, being the Scott Van Pelt, the Mike Greenberg doing that kind of thing. And I never thought about doing the writing aspect of it, even though I love writing and I love getting to do that. But it's, for me, it was always the other way. And that's pretty cool. I never thought of that in that sense. But some people, it goes different ways with sports journalism because there's so many outlets for it, especially the industry has grown so much. If you look at Barstool, if you look at some of these other media conglomerates that were not this big and never could have been a few years ago, and there's so many opportunities if you want to do different senses of sports journalism, if you want to do satire, if you want to do genuine, you know, political or not political sport debate, or if you want to do, there's different ways to go about it. And as the industry changes, you know, different people are going to want to do different aspects of it. And that's pretty cool that there's like yeah actually something to add to that too is um i was going through linkedin and i found adam schefter's uh profile and i was looking through his past experiences and he as well as like stephen a smith for example they started off writing um for small news organizations and he just kept moving from place to place getting experience at different places and really building his resume and that ultimately led his writing led to him being a guy who you would see regularly on ESPN with his NFL insider information. So it really is a, a profession where you definitely need to build your portfolio and you definitely need to work your way up. You don't start at ESPN. That's that's kind of the end goal. You need to pay your dues and work your way up slowly in order to get to where you want to be. Yeah, there's a reason you don't see as many, you know, 20 and – young people doing ESPN it's because it takes time I mean you talk to people who you know their highest career rank is being an executive producer and they wanted that ESPN job but they ended up happy with where they were at but you know people work their career to get there and then they get there and they could be later on in life it's not as many people who get that opportunity young and if you do you're good so it's different different career tracks and it's just a different the industry has changed so much from in from what i've heard about it from when i was not even a thought to even before you were a thought and it's just changed massively with the way the world has changed as well so it's very cool so i do want to talk a little sports with you we did fireside football earlier and you guys can check that out we will plug that at the end of this but we talked a little bit about Mahomes and his incredibly massive deal. What is your thought process on that? And, you know, our first episode of Fireside Football, we talked about Dak Prescott and his deal and what that could look like. Do you see Dak demanding a deal in terms of massive length and kind of reminiscent of this? I do not. I think that everybody, including Dak Prescott, they know that no one – is going to be getting a contract even close to what Patrick Mahomes got. I mean, when the first reports came out and it said that Mahomes was getting 400 plus million, I mean, I said a wow then. And then when the 503 mark came up, my, I mean, my mind was blowing. Like half a billion dollars on a contract is just surreal. Um, I, Listen, I think Prescott could ask for a long-term deal, unless he wants out at this point. I honestly don't know, being what's going on with the Cowboys, but... I don't see him asking for a 10-year deal or something like that. I see it more around the five-year range. And he knows he's not going to get Mahomes' money. No one's ever going to get Mahomes' money. But I think it hurts Prescott, actually, because Prescott was on track to potentially be 
you know, the highest paid quarterback in the league as, you know, that's the trend that it's been going with quarterbacks. And then Mahomes gets this ridiculous deal. I think it hurts Prescott and his negotiations actually a little bit. See, that was the one thing I felt it was good at or good for all parties. It was good for Mahomes because he got handed an incredibly massive deal and money that will be guaranteed for long after his grandkids' kids are living their lives. So he got handed the Brinks truck backed up. So he's set, and the Chiefs are set for 10 years with their franchise quarterback and also were able to kind of negotiate it early so that, I mean, he could have waited a year and won another Super Bowl and then said, yeah, remember what I asked for a year ago? Now double that because he could have just said, write me a blank check. Because at this point, he's heading in that trajectory. The Chiefs knew it was better to pay him sooner than later before Prescott set the market probably higher and then had to, Mahomes had to exceed that by even more because he's on a different stratosphere than Prescott. And I think that that was a good move by the Chiefs to get ahead of it. But for Prescott, like you said, this is probably going to hurt him because if you do look at a bargaining tactic now for Jerry Jones could be to say, if Prescott even asks for any sense of a reminiscence of Mahomes' contract, you can say, well, you haven't won a Super Bowl. You haven't won an MVP award. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. And you've had more experience. So why should I pay you this? And I also think, though, in Prescott's camp, the idea is going to be trying to, I think, double up. It's going to be, I kind of think, reminiscent of Cousins' deal, where I think he's going to try to get back into free agency at some point or at least be able to cash in with another extension. And I think that that's going to be his trajectory now because I think originally he may have wanted that big deal, but now Mahomes reset the market for any big deal of the future. And I think that even a Lamar Jackson in the future won't get as much as what Mahomes just got. Yeah, no, I don't see anyone ever competing with Mahomes' money. I mean, you know, I shouldn't say ever because we don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now with more contracts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you touched upon, you know, how Prescott hasn't won an MVP. He has won a Super Bowl, and those are going to hurt him. But also... Pretty much every year that he's been in the league, he's had some pretty damn good talent around him. Mm-hmm. He's had Zeke. He now has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. I mean, and he's had a very talented offense, and they haven't made it to the Super Bowl. And I think that's in the back of the Cowboys' front office mind. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he's a good quarterback. He's worth an extension. But I don't think he's worth what he wants. I mean... He's a good quarterback, but no one's on Mahomes' level. Exactly. I think Mahomes is just everything, even in terms of he's got it all right now, and maybe it changes. Maybe defenses somehow miraculously figure him out, but he's got everything. He's got the wheels where he can get out of the pocket and be phenomenal. He also has the arm talent that's been unparalleled in the past few years. The only reminiscence of it has really been Rodgers. And he also has the leadership ability and pieces around him. He's the kind of perfect storm right now. Hopefully he can keep it up for the sake of football, building another star. But there's nobody on his level right now. And I don't think anybody's going to be able to get that money unless it's Lamar Jackson, who has a Super Bowl winning year next year and kind of kind of emulates that trajectory that Mahomes went across. But I just can't see him having as much sustainability as Mahomes. Right, and now I just want to add one more thing about uh, Prescott. Compared to Mahomes, I mean, you saw last year in the play, and I think everyone saw last year in the playoffs, they were down, and they were down many times, and Mahomes had helped bring them back. And with Prescott, 
he had a losing record by far against winning teams last season in the regular season. Yeah. So I don't think it's fair for someone who is a good quarterback, but to be asking for, you know, record-breaking potentially numbers in a contract for someone who has a losing record against winning teams, it just it doesn't add up to me. Yeah. So shifting gears a little here, MLB plans to get back with a 60-game season. And in terms of testing, things have come back pretty well. 67 out of, I think, 3,600-plus tests came back as positive. So in terms of sample size, that's actually pretty positive in terms of good morale and good news for MLB getting back. But in terms of a 60-game season, is there a team, maybe a player, that immediately jumps out to you as going to be very the beneficiary of this new, unique normal for this season? Hmm. Well, I'm a Mets fan, so I want to say someone on the Mets. But, hmm, that's a really good question. A, ben- a player who's going to benefit the most from this. Let's say I think the player I'm gonna benefit that's gonna benefit the most on the Mets. Let's start off with is Jacob Degrom because he's won the back-to-back Cy Young awards, but his record hasn't been great. So yeah, he's going eleven and ten. Let's say each season. I think him having a smaller sample size is gonna help him in his win and loss ratio. Um, wow. Oh, actually, before I answer that, do you think Mike Trout's going to end up playing? So that's exactly my where I was going with my answer. If I'm Mike Trout, I am playing this year because this is his best opportunity to win a ring. I totally agree. The Angels have not been successful. They have not been able to put together great 162-game seasons. But maybe in 60 games, you know, you rally the troops. Trout puts up insane numbers in 60 games. And they win and win big, get a playoff spot, and make some noise. And this could be the kind of short season, though, that could be a nice resume builder for Mike Trout because in terms of statistics and on-the-field play, he's building a resume for one of the greats of all time. But he, a World Series ring, even in a 60-game season, or even just a deep playoff run where he carries them, would look damn good for his resume. And this is the best chance for him to get it. I don't know why he wouldn't play in that sense, but in terms of health, I do understand why any of these guys would not want to play. But for someone like him, it's a legacy-building opportunity, and I think that this would be he'd be one of the biggest beneficiaries, if not the biggest, to trying to play in a 60-game season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike Trout has been spectacular. He's, you know, unarguably the best player in baseball, in my opinion. And for a player who plays as well as he does and puts up the numbers he does to not be in the playoffs on a consistent basis is just mind-boggling so the shorter season is definitely going to help Mike Trout if he plays um you know I you know it's actually funny because I I believe it was ESPN uh that put out according to Vegas the um, playoff percentage chances for each team with the shortened season and the Angels their percentage shot up from like it was below it was like single digits to pretend i think double digits and i mean that's just a huge difference for a team that really needs to start winning and getting to the playoffs in order for uh mike trout to help build his resume yeah and i think that this would be that best opportunity for him and especially for the angels organization as well i think that they 
you know, maybe even slide some money under the table and say, you know, Mike, you know, this would not be bad. You know, you should play. But I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully he plays for the sake of baseball because that's going to be a very significant move, even for the whole sports world. If the best player in the sport decides to sit out, that sets a precedent that might not look good for the NFL, that might not look good for the NBA. That's not something that I think anybody wants. So hopefully he uh, he does play, and that would be the best-case scenario. So hopefully that happens. In terms of a team, obviously Yankees, Nationals, Astros, is there a dark horse team that you were looking at even before the 60-game season became a reality as somebody who could make some noise that you're, you think's kind of been slept on? I don't know if there's that much of a dark horse, but I'm going to say the Dodgers. The Dodgers have consistently been atop the league in record, and, you know, they seem they fall short every season. But I have a feeling about the Dodgers this year. They've been on the brink of a World Series for a while now, and I think it's their turn to to, uh, to go get it. I mean, yeah, I think the short season is going to help the Dodgers too, um, you know, because it, it could potentially cut down on injuries and, you know, the Dodgers have had a couple of injuries in the past that have hurt them, but I like the Dodgers this season to make it to the World Series and I potentially win it too. Especially with their window, it seems like their window is getting to a point where, I mean, they have the young depth to make a run for a long time, but in terms of, you know, Mookie, you don't know how much longer he's going to be a Dodger because he may bolt. And, you know, how many years does Kershaw have left at his best? This could be a very crucial year for the Dodgers organization. They seem like they're going all in on trying to win one this year. And I think that I think you're right there, especially with injuries the past few years has come to bite them, especially in the playoffs, too. They've struggled with that. And I think that that's something that could be a uh, they'd be a team that could really be a benefit of 60 game season. But hopefully they can make some noise because it's better when the Dodgers and the Angels and good teams in terms of marketability are good because it's better for the sport as well. And also, the Dodgers need to see Kershaw be Kershaw in the playoffs. Yes. That's the big thing. And there won't be as much rust either. And Kershaw, even if he struggles in the 60 games, if they get to the postseason, he could be playing his best baseball in what would normally be October. Well, it would be October then, but in what would normally be, you know, August at the time. So it would be a good opportunity for Kershaw to have some success as well. So looking at kind of shifting back to the NFL, what we talk about on Fireside Football. We talk a lot about record predictions. We just started the AFC. Talking on a different platform about it, where do you see football heading for this season? Do you think that there's going to be football played, or do you think that there's going to be – or do you think that we're wasting our time even with predictions? Do you think that there's going to be football played this year? I think there will be football. I think there definitely will be football played. Uh, the question is, though, how is each individual state going to deal with the NFL games going on? Because we already saw in the past couple of weeks um, that fans should not be expected to be allowed inside or outside the stadium uh, for Buffalo Bills games because of the state New York has been in. Um, so, I mean... Between that and other teams, like I think, was it the Ravens that said earlier today that there's going to be a limit of like 14,000 yeah. people allowed in? Um, so it's going to, it's. I think there will be football. It's just going to be interesting to see what stadiums and franchises are going to do if they don't have fans in the stadium and how they're going to supplement that noise with um, different things. I mean, 
it's it's really interesting because it's funny being that we're both Jets fans, uh, we expect, I believe, to, uh, if football goes on, that the Jets and Giants will be able to have some fans at least in stadiums. And, you know, right across the border in New York, the Bills can't. So it's really a state-to-state thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think there will ultimately be football. But, I'm, it's you know, it's going to be interesting to see if players do end up holding out and, you know, not playing or I don't know. what I... stadiums are going to do without fans. And I feel like, too, there's so much that's changing by the second. I mean, one day they – I mean, Harvard closed down schools yesterday. Today, our president and the secretary of education said we're reopening in the fall. So it's it changes by state. It changes by person. It's, it's a unique time to be alive, and it's a unique time to be sports writers because there's there's little content right now, and there's going to be – Hopefully some content in the fall, but it's not going to be the same way we normally cover stuff. Right. It's funny. There's little content now, but the little content we have is usually some big news. <laughs> yeah. And now, but in the span of, as we'll knock on wood, we have a baseball and basketball season in the span of two weeks. Our lives, maybe not as specifically us because we don't cover MLB and NBA as prominently, but in terms of sports writers' lives, it's about to get more busy because there's never – a time where there's going to be that much sports on because there's going to be NBA almost every day. There's going to be MLS almost every day, NHL, MLB, uh, NASCAR on on the weekends, UFC, boxing. There's going to be a lot of sports on. So hopefully COVID, you know, stays away because we could have a very fun summer and early fall in terms of getting to watch sports and cover, you know, all the sports going on and it's going to be good games because you have a 60 game season. There's going to be extra ratings because you're going to have games that really matter in a 60 game season. Same thing with the NBA. You're going straight to seeding games and then the playoffs and same thing with MLS. It's going to be a tournament, NHL tournament. You're going to have games that are going to be big games on constantly. So it's going to be a fun summer. I think as long as Miss Corona doesn't wave her head around and make this uh, mess. Yeah, no doubt. So talking back to you before we close out here, when it's all said and done, and this is one of my final questions, and it's one I ask on to every guest, and it's a big one. When it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? Would you give me a heads up there, man? I could have some notes for this. <laughs> uh, what do I want my legacy to be? That's a tough question for me to answer right now because it's hard for a sports writer to necessarily have a quote-unquote legacy. I would like to be – like I know Stephen A. Smith technically has a legacy right now, right? Everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows his face. Everyone knows his voice. I would like that. This is going to sound weird, but with my writing, I hope that with, you know, I hope people enjoy the way I write and find my content informative, but also engaging. I don't want there to be straight facts being spit out and, you know, bland writing, just getting the message across. I want people to engage in it and I want people to, you know, let's just say I'm writing for ESPN and they get a notification that one of my articles comes up. I want them to be excited and want to click on that link in order to go see the new article. That's what I want. I don't necessarily want to have or need to have, you know, my name be remembered forever and ever, but I want people to know that 
they can look forward to my next article coming out and actually enjoy reading what I have to say. That's awesome. And it's, you, you mentioned Stephen A. Smith's legacy, but I feel like even guys like, you know, I mentioned Greeny earlier, but even, you know, you got writers like Schefter who writes it, but he also does on air stuff. And I feel like, and it's maybe more difficult to make a legacy writing, but there's also those guys that you know that if you get a notification in certain sports for whether it be Adam Schefter, whether it be Jeff Passan for baseball, Buster only, you know there's guys that you click on every time because whatever they're writing about is must read because they're covering it. And hopefully that's where you get because that's a hell of a legacy to have in sports journalism. Yeah, I mean, those are great names to even put out there as you know examples of what i'm talking about like Schefter and buster only i mean when they put stuff like you said when they put stuff out there you know it's going to be good material and you know that it's something you really want to know uh, regarding the sport that you follow so yeah that's a that's a great way to put it so a more lighthearted question here before we talk a little bit about fireside football and i asked this to uh most of my guests if you could be any kind of boat what boat would you be and why a boat a boat it throws some people off, Brendan. <laughs> <sighs> this might sound a little conceited here. I'm going to go with a yacht. Oh, tr- that yacht has gets it gets used a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the yacht because everyone looks at a yacht and they're like, "Damn, that's a nice boat." <laughs> <laughs> if you think about that question, though, and Andrew Siciliano asked me why I asked, and so did Alan Hahn. But if you think about it, if you especially if you ask like an NFL draft prospect that, like I asked some of the prospects that came on this year that, you kind of can get to know what they think about themselves. Like obviously you say a yacht humorously, but if one of them goes yacht because it's luxurious and that's what I want, well then you know that they think that they're they think that they're the shit. They think that they're the bomb, and they're not gonna. You can judge someone's personality by a simple question like that and kind of make assumptions and. It's a stupid question. It's fun. It gets laughs, but especially for some of these prospects, it kind of shows what their personality and where their heads are at. So That's a great question, man. I might steal that from you one day. <laughs> so talking a little bit about fireside football here, for my listeners, can you kind of tell them what we do, what the show is, what the show's goals are for the future? Yeah, so uh, we do our podcast, Fireside Football, every week uh, for Empire Sports Media. And we cover breaking news in the NFL. Um, Like today we spoke about the AFC West with player contracts like Patrick Mahomes and players to watch and record predictions. And we've been going division by division each week. We just started AFC today. And, you know, it's really just for people who want to, you know, they might know the teams in the division, but they want to get to know the teams a little more and learn about what's going on um, with the rosters and what they should expect and, you know, what they – what they could look forward to seeing on the field if there is a season. So, yeah, it's a really fun time, really good listen if uh, anyone wants to learn more about uh, specific teams in the NFL. I also feel like we figured out, especially more recently, not to toot our own horns here, before we even do interviews and get involved in more stuff and after we're done with the predictions and everything, I feel like we've walked the line very well of being informative and you know covering everything and giving good detail and giving those people what they want to know about the teams that you might not hear on ESPN and you might not hear this stuff because it's not as big enough news but it can end up playing an impact but you we also walk the line of being engaging and having conversation that's not just you know the boring generic football podcast where you're sitting there going 
and Patrick Mahomes will get a $500 million. I feel like we figured out well with Fireside Football how to walk the line of being engaging, not to toot our own horns, though. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're informative, and like you said, it's like a conversation. And after you know, when we spit out the news and what's been going on, I think we do a nice job of evaluating it from the perspective of a fan, but not a biased fan, being that we're both primarily Jets fans. I think we do a really good job of that. So when you get told you're doing a podcast with a 16-year-old who has no experience other than this podcast and some writing, but no real mainstream experience doing podcasts, what's the first reaction? My first reaction is that this kid really has a passion for what he wants to do, and uh, he's trying to get some experience before he goes off to college and really gets into the real world. Well, I appreciate that. My first reaction was... This guy knows what he's doing. He's about to make me look bad. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't really do that too much. <laughs> no, you're good. And ladies and gentlemen, watch out for Brendan. I've said it enough on our fireside and say enough social media. He's definitely on that trajectory to be that Adam Schefter, be that, you know, writer to watch out for. So and he's young. And a lot of the writers on ESM are young. If you don't, you know, talk about it in the coming weeks as well as a hopefully Alex comes on soon as well. But you know, these are guys that are young, but also driven and guys who could be staples of sports media in just a few years. So I think Brendan's going to be one of those guys or some other guys on the site as well, if you'd like to check them out, that are going to be big. So Brendan Carpenter's one to watch for. Brendan, where can they find you? Well, as Dylan said, you can find me in the Fire, uh, Fireside Football Podcast on the Empire Sports Media website covering the Jets and breaking news. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brendan Carp ESM, where I tweet about the Jets and other breaking news around the NFL, just kind of giving my opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my partner in crime on Fireside Football and Jets writer, Brendan Carpenter. Thanks again, Brendan. Thanks for having me, Dylan. My thanks again to Brendan for coming on. It was fun to sit down with him and pick his brain and also publicize Fireside Football because it's a really cool podcast that we're doing, and I'm excited for you guys all to tune in as well. With that said, I want to thank you guys for listening to this podcast and always listening, tuning in, giving your feedback. Uh, reminder, check us out on Instagram, at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter, at Ambitious with DP, YouTube, Ambitious with Dylan Price. Uh, we have merch, you know, check that out. Um... And yeah, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, listen. I know our schedule has been wonky the past few weeks, but we are heading back to Wednesdays. It was a brief excursion on two nights a week, but there's so much going on in the world, but there's not a lot going on in the sports world right now. So quite frankly, once sports get back, maybe we'll go back to two nights a week. But I think that the best thing to do for now is to do one night a week because I feel like it's more engaging conversations one night a week and something to look forward to during your week. And it's not as, you know, overkill, I guess. But that's my little ramble on that. So we're back to Wednesdays. Wednesdays, Wednesdays, Wednesdays. We'll always be ambitious after this Thursday. So next week, ambitious episode, going to be a good one. Hope you guys tune in as you always do. Have a great week, ambitious listeners.